Well, amen. Good to see you all this morning. Hey, let's uh, show the Lord some praise and also our worship team for leading us in opportunity to praise him. Great job today. Amazing songs. And I'm just here to tell you, if you missed your opportunity to worship your big God, you missed a, a glorious opportunity because he showed up on this snow day. And he was waiting for you. And so maybe you showed up, maybe you didn't. If you didn't, you got all afternoon. You need to get that right. Hey, I'm excited about today. I just, uh, it's, it's hard to imagine just a few days ago, I was on a beach in the Bahamas and I come home and this is my penalty for doing that. Okay, snow on a March Sunday. But we are in Exodus uh, today in our series called Exodus on the Move. In this book, everything is moving. Okay, everything changes in this book. And, and, it, and it's a 3,500-year-old rec- record of a real-time event. And although it's 3,500 years old, it's not an old book. It's an eternal book. It is inspired by the true and living God, and it is applicable for us today. And that's what we're going to see today. Uh, last week, we got, you got to take a break from Exodus, and Clark preached for me. And I, I'm so proud of him, and, and God's using him and developing his gifts. And uh, show him some, some thanks for filling in for me last week. The, the first message I got was not how great the service was. It was, it, was, it, was, it was off. There was a lot of people out. So next time, I told him I want him to take a panoramic picture of who's here so I can send a phone tree to everybody who is not here, okay? So uh, Exodus chapter 15, find that in your Bibles. That's what we're going to be looking at. And you may be thinking, well, I thought we've already covered Exodus chapter 15. We have. And we've covered 16 and 17, but we need to look at it from a, uh, we need a flyover, a 35,000 foot view, looking down on Exodus 15, 16, 17, and learn about ourselves. We're going to look in, our, in the mirror today uh, when we look uh, at this passage. And so, <clears throat> so it's incredible that what we see in this, in this uh, book is God has delivered a nation, a couple of million strong and they've been delivered from 400 years of slavery, oppression, and bondage. God has marched them across the dry bottom of the Red Sea, turned the water over on top of the Egyptian army, and destroyed the enemy. And in chapter 15, it's a good time for a party. Moses writes a little ditty, a little song. Miriam chimes in. They dance. They sing. I mean, it's a good day, right? And then life sets in. And what do we do now? Well, they did what we do. They began to murmur and complain about their physical needs, and they'll do it for the next 40 years. It's easy to point a finger at a nation of Israel and say, how could you do that? I mean, God walked you across this dry bottom of the Red Sea. He destroyed your enemy. He delivered you from captivity. How could you do that? They did it just like we do it. And we need to learn from them. That Scripture tells us in the New Testament that the things in the Old Testament were given so we could know and understand and learn from them. And so that's what we're going to try to do today. And so the title of the message on the back of your life guide is simply this, Wilderness Provision. Wilderness Provision. You see, in Exodus, the idea of the wilderness shows up over and over and over. Just read the book and, and just count how many times you see the word wilderness. I mean, it's everywhere. But there's more to it than just this journey for a nation uh, in the Sinai Peninsula. There's more to it. You see, wilderness is a type. In Exodus, it's a type. It's, it's an expression of life in the wilderness. And I want you to know today that your life sometimes is a wilderness. I want you to understand something. For the nation of Israel, are you ready? It's this. They were delivered from bondage and captivity, 400 years of, of oppression, miraculously delivered and set free marvelous glorious day 
And all the while, God said, I'm taking you to a new place. You see, when he rescues something, he doesn't leave it there. He wants to take it to a new place. And so the new place that he was delivering from to is the promised land, a land that flows with milk and honey, right? And so now they got this, this glorious provision in the past of rescue from bondage. They've got this glorious promise of provision in the future called the, the promised land, the land of milk and honey. But they're in the middle. And I want you to know today, the wilderness is the life in the middle. The, the wilderness is life between two great events. And you say, well, that's great for Israel. What does that have to do with me? Here For me, let me just tell you what it means to me. In 1972, I was gloriously rescued from bondage and captivity to the sin curse in my life. Jesus came into my life and set me free. An ignorant little 10-year-old boy, he rescued me and saved me. Great event. And on that day, he sealed me with his spirit. And he said, one day, you being my child, are going to be in your promised land, heaven. And the same one who provided the event in 1972 is the same one who will provide the event one day when I go to heaven. But in between those two great events, I walk around in the middle. And let me tell you something about life in the middle of those great events. Sometimes it's a wilderness. Sometimes it's just old hard days. Sometimes a moment, sometimes a day, sometimes a season just feels like wilderness. It is just hard. Anybody in here had a hard season or a day that you would identify as wilderness? Just be honest. You can look around, see? Most of us. Now, most of us have raised our hand. We should pause right now and pray for those who didn't raise their hand because that means there's one in the chamber headed their way, okay? Because it's a reality for everybody. There's nobody exempt from life in the middle of these two great events. The point is this. The same God who provided delivery from bondage. The same God that provides the promised land, our heaven. The same God who wants to walk with us and provide everything we need in the wilderness called life in the middle. You need to know that. The same God. The same love that was poured out on the cross. The same love that's right now building our heaven. The same love. He's offering, and he's offering it to you in your wilderness. And so we need to hang on to that. Now, to do that, we're going to look at Israel because they're a good target, right? It's easier to talk about somebody else's failure. Chapter 15, verse 22. Verse 22 of 15 says, Then Moses led Israel to journey away from the Red Sea. They went out to the wilderness of Shur. There it is. They walked for three days into the wilderness and they found no water. Then they came to Marah, but they were not able to drink the waters of Marah because they were bitter. We see a wilderness need right here. No water. Three days. They're, they're three days. They're three days away from the party, and they're already tore up. Okay? Looks like us. Verse 24. So how do they respond to the need? The people murmured against Moses, saying, what can we drink? we see a common response. Now let's look in verse 27, provision in the wilderness. Verse 27, then they came to Elam and there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees and they camped there by the water. 
All the while, <clears throat> the need arose in the wilderness life, in the life in the middle of these two great events. The need arose and God had a plan. But before they let God provide the plan, their response was that they murmured and complained. And they focused on their own physical need. Chapter 16 of Exodus, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> Chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. We read this. When they journeyed from Elam, the entire company of the Israelites came to the wilderness of sin. New wilderness. Which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after their exodus from the land of Egypt, now the entire company of Israelites murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, oh, life as a slave, it was a wonderful thing. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They're hungry. That's a good need. I know that. I just got off a cruise ship. I have not been hungry in a week. Okay? I should fast for a week and pray for forgiveness. Okay? But they're hungry. It's a legitimate need. But God already has a provision. But their response is like ours. They murmured and they complained. Chapter 16, verses, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. Hey, go big or go home. I'm going to do something you've never seen. Manna. You know what manna means? What is it? That, by definition, that's what it is. Snowflakes of bread falling out of the sky. A daily, a daily provision in the wilderness. And verse 10 of chapter 16. God said, look toward the wilderness and behold the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. God says, I am your provision. When are you going to learn? You don't have to murmur and whine and complain and throw a personal pity party. Just, just have a conversation with me. Trust me. Place your faith and hope in me. And let me be God in your life. And I will provide your every need. Chapter 17, verse 1. The whole, company, the whole community of the Israelites traveled on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the Lord's instruction. And they pitched camp in Rephidim. Now there was no water for the people to drink. So the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? And why do you test the Lord? But the people were very thirsty there for water. And they murmured against Moses and said, why in the world did you bring us from Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Chapter 17, we find a provision. The Lord said to Moses, go over before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you will strike the rock, and the water will come out of it so that the people may drink. You see, life in the middle of their delivery and their promised land, life in the middle between salvation and glorification, our, our day in heaven, okay, it's a wilderness, and wilderness has needs. And, 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 and that's just a fact. It's, it's real. And nobody's exempt from it. You're not exempt. I'm not exempt. Nobody's exempt. The wilderness can be brutally tough, okay? For Israel, they would be in the wilderness for 40 years. You see, God delivered Israel from Egypt in just a day or two. But it took 40 years to deliver Israel from inside, for Egypt from inside of Israel. They just wouldn't let it go. 
They wouldn't let it go and trust God. Now, along the way, you would think at some point in a 40-year wilderness journey, somebody would raise their hand and say, hey, 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 guys, come around. I've been noticing every time we have a need, we throw this little pity party. We whine and we complain. And, oh, woe is me. And, and we, we, we try to find people collectively that we can just suffer together. That's what we do when we're suffering. We want somebody to suffer with us. Just empathize. Just, just come on in the suffering circle here and join me in this. Okay? Then we're going to have a pity party. And at no point did somebody say, look, hey, every time we do that, God's providing for us. Not because we're crying, but because he loves us. So rather than need, response, provision, why don't we try something different? Why don't we try need, provision, response? In other words, when a need arises, let's just pray and trust God for provision. And when he provides, and he will, because he always has, and he promised that he will, then our response will no longer be moaning, it will be gratitude. We'll be thankful instead of sorrowful. Wouldn't that be a cool idea? 40 years, that idea never surfaced. 40 years. Now, it's easy to say that. It's what we do. That's America. We're so ruined, so spoiled. We have everything we want, and when we don't get everything we want just like we want it, we complain, we get disappointed. It's woe is me. We have a pity party. Now, I'm not saying the wilderness is easy because it's not. I'm not saying the life in the middle is pleasant because it's not always pleasant. But I want you to know life in the middle between delivery and delivery, God walks right in the middle of it. Just like he said, I'll be right there on the rock at Horeb. You just hit it with your stick and watch what I do. He said, look into the wilderness and you will see my glory. God is in the middle of the wilderness, just like he's in the middle of our delivery, just like he'll be in the middle of our eternal state. He's in the middle because he loves us and he created us. Now, in the wilderness, no doubt there are all kinds of unknowns, all kinds of unknowns. No matter what your wilderness flavor might be, it has all kinds of unknowns and we have to learn how can we deal with it. Now, keep in mind, it's easy to say, well, Israel's different, right? I mean, that's God's chosen people. He picked them off of the globe from this little postage stamp of real estate to introduce himself to the world through and ultimately come as the incarnation, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, through this people group. And their job <clears throat> was to introduce God to the world. Their job was to testify about the greatness of God so that other people would come into God's family. That's Israel. But church, that's who we are. That's who we are. You've been chosen and selected by God. He died on a cross for you to pay your sin debt so you could be a child of God, so you would be part of the bride of Jesus Christ. And his goal for you is no different than it was for Israel. He wants you to be the corridor that, that God comes through. He wants you to introduce God to your world. It's no different now than it was 3,500 years ago. And God has called us to be three things. Are you ready? 
salt, light, and ambassadors of his. There's no exemption. Listen to me. If you're saved today, and if I ask you, if I came to you, are you, are you born again? You say, most of you, whether you are or not, say, yeah, I'm saved. Okay? Because ain't nobody wants to go to hell. If they are, they're a total idiot. Okay? Yeah, I'm saved. If you're saved, you, without exception, are to be salt, light, and an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in Scripture. Matthew chapter 5, it says, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. He's talking to believers, disciples. But if salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. Look at the person next to you and say, you need to get salty. Look at the person next to you and say, you need to light it up. Easter's coming. It's a perfect time for you to get salty and lighty. Now, not only that, you're an ambassador. You're a representation. You're a messenger of Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says this. So then, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. What is old has passed away, and look what is new has come. He says, and all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you get that? He's given it to us, the message of reconciliation, the message of redemption, the gospel. Now he goes on in verse 19, he says, in other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. And he has given us now the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, you, me, you, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were making his plea through us. We plead with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So here's the thing. Israel would spend 40 years in a wilderness. And their calling was just to get close to God, trust God, and get to the other side, into the promised land. The same thing's true for you. If you're saved, you're in the wilderness. And, and, and I don't know how long the wilderness is going to be. If ever how long we live before either Jesus comes back or he takes us home, we are in the wilderness. And, and our job is to simply testify and trust in the greatness of who God is. Now, sometimes what happens, we enter a wilderness experience and we think we are all alone in our wilderness. It's just me here. Nobody's walked in this wilderness. This is my wilderness. Secondly, we think our wilderness is worse than everybody else's wilderness. Thirdly, we think no one has ever walked in our shoes. They don't understand our wilderness. But that's only because we don't know their wilderness. You see, we don't put our wilderness experiences much on social media. Social media is not airing for the world how miserable your state is it's 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 rosy and good all right we put the good stuff on social media for the most part 
But everybody has a wilderness. Everybody in here has wilderness days. I can assure you. It's, nothing in the Bible says our life is going to be perfect once we're saved until Jesus comes back or we die and go to heaven. Nothing. In fact, there's many more scriptures that point to the, the reality that wilderness suffering is just a part of this life in the middle. And we all simply walk through it. Now, wilderness experiences come in a variety of flavors and colors and packages. So I made a little list. This is not exhaustive, of course. You've got your own list. But here's what a wilderness life in the middle experience feels like. Heartache, disappointment, sickness, suffering, loss, depression, need, pain, loneliness, frustration, anger, and you can fill in your own blanks. But of that simple list that I just gave you, how many people have ever experienced those emotions in your life? Raise your hand. Double hand. That's right. Walk in it. Okay? It's real. And these students raise their hand. It starts early. It doesn't wait till you get seasoned, ready for it. It starts early. And it continues the rest of our life. Now, now we're going to talk about our response to that and how we can understand more about our wilderness as we go. So I want you to know today that the wilderness conversation at your dining table or wherever you're having your wilderness conversation may not be the same as the wilderness conversation at the table in the house next door. But they're having wilderness conversations too, okay? I want you to know today, wilderness living is tough. But just like God was there for Israel, God walks right in the middle. He punches a hole in the wilderness darkness and gives provision to everything you'll ever possibly need in the middle of your wilderness. <clears throat> now, God wants us to learn how to deal with the wilderness. In one way, we look at Israel. Also, we read Scripture. David, King David, wrote the most popular psalm in all the Bible. You typically hear it at a funeral. You hear it other times. It's a, it's a psalm for every day. It's the 23rd psalm. David wanted you to know something inspired by God when he wrote that psalm. He wanted you to know about life in the middle. He wanted you to know about the provision in the wilderness. He wanted you to know what to expect in this life in the middle. Are you ready? First, he wants you to know God will not make every day a wilderness journey. <laughs> every day is not a wilderness journey. There's going to be some good ones. You may have to sift through sometimes, but you'll find some good ones. Psalm 23, this is what David said. The Lord is my shepherd and I lack for nothing. He takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing water. He restores my strength. He leads me down the right paths for the sake of his reputation. Every day is not a miserable wilderness journey. How many of you have had a good day in your life? Raise your hand. Amen. Amen. They're there. Sometimes we have to look a little harder than others, but they're there. Number two, David goes on and he tells us that God's goal is not to leave his children in the wilderness. He, he doesn't lead you into the wilderness to leave you there. Say that again. He doesn't leave, uh, lead you there to leave you there. Listen to what David says in verse 4. Even though I must walk 
through the darkest valley, I'll fear no danger. The operative word is through. He's, he's not camping out. He's a pilgrim. He's, he's journeying through the wilderness. He's going to get to the other side. Listen to me, church. If you're in a wilderness today, listen to me. You will make it to the other side if you hold on to the hand of God. Because he did not lead you there to leave you there. Number three, God will not make his children walk through it alone. He says, David says in the second half of verse four, for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they reassure me. You're not alone. You are never alone as a child of God. Sometimes it feels lonely, but you're never alone. Number four, God will provide for his children even when we're in the wilderness. Verse five, you prepare a feast before me in the plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil and my cup is completely full. Right in the middle of the darkest part of your wilderness experience, God will just show up right in the middle of it and pour out a provision in the darkest day. David said it and it's true. Listen, number five, God will usher us into the promised land that is forever. He's leading us through and the place he's taking us to is our promised land, ultimately heaven. Here's what he says in verse 6. Surely your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all my days, and I will live in the Lord's house for the rest of my life. Wilderness life is a reality, and we have to learn how to walk through it. I mentioned a minute ago that when I asked if anybody had any suffering, these young people raised their hand. Yeah, they got it. And I want to encourage you all. God willing, you have a long life ahead of you. And this wilderness, you're going to have more of those days. But I'm telling you, I, and I'll, I'll tell you about it more personally in a few minutes. I'm telling you, God will walk with you through it all. Provide, provide, provide. And you, there's nothing else that, that, is, that is that fixed. Nothing else that, is, that you can place your confidence in except for God. If you are seasoned sufferer through the wilderness, tell me amen. See there? Eight of them. Now, how do we walk and how do we handle this wilderness? It's a great question. And typically we handle it like Israel. We moan and complain and throw a pity party until we somehow survive and get to the other side. We tend to ignore the good of God and focus on the hard times, the things that we don't like. And when we do that, the enemy now has us right where he wants us. You see, if we isolate ourselves from God and we begin to focus on our own little world, all of a sudden, our faith, our hope, our confidence in God has been put on a shelf and we're trusting in ourselves to battle this wilderness experience all alone. And when we do that, the enemy doubles down. He, he has us right where he wants us because we're all alone and so never be alone in our wilderness suffering and, and so I was thinking about it and just the Lord just put it in my heart this word wilderness is like everywhere in the book of Exodus and what is that with the wilderness by definition I simply looked in looked up wilderness by definition you ready these are the three phrases that the dictionary uses to describe wilderness an uninhabited place, an inhospitable region, an uncultivated space. 
That's where Israel, Israel was for 40 years. And that's where you and I are in this thing called life between redemption and glorification, between salvation and heaven. Sometimes it's uninhabited, it's inhospitable, and it's uncultivated. Now, I want to talk about those a little bit because I, I want us to see what that means, what we can expect in this life. So every wilderness is full of unknowns, and there may be some things to know, but no one has all the answers. So it says it is, in, it is uninhabited. That means there are no historical records. There are no current reviews. There are no testimonials about uh, how you can navigate well through it. Uh, and you feel like there's no one else who has ever lived in that particular wilderness. It feels uninhabited, like there's no one there. It's just you. Now, watch this. Have you ever had a wilderness experience where you felt like you had a target on your back and like nobody else knew, had ever experienced what you were going through? You felt alone in it? It's what it feels like, man. That's what it feels like. So I was thinking, what, what would be an example of a wilderness experience that's, that feels uninhabited? I thought about this. Miscarriage. Miscarriage is when a mother conceives a baby, and before the baby is born, the baby dies prematurely, called miscarriage. And, and I tell people all the time, because it happens a lot, okay? And I call it the, <clears throat> the unspoken suffering, because people don't talk about it much, because they're hurt. So it's devastating. It can be devastating. But in reality, when, a, when this mother has lost her baby, they feel so alone. And, 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 and they begin to ask questions like, why did this happen to me? It's a very real response, okay? But in reality, 15% of all conceptions end in miscarriage. Statistically, 25% of all women have had a miscarriage. But in the moment, it feels uninhabited space. It feels like I'm the only one because it weighs so heavy. And so we're to be reminded that no matter how uninhabited our wilderness feels, God has inhabited that space. And he is ready to meet us right in the middle. It doesn't mean it's easy. And it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. But it means we're not alone. Number two, it said that the wilderness is inhospitable. Inhospitable. I looked up inhospitable because that's a big word and this is what it said. It's harsh, unfriendly, unwelcoming, and difficult to survive in. I thought, what's, what might be a good example? There's many, but I thought about the word divorce. The divorce, it, when you consider the idea of divorce, there's many people in here who, who have been through divorce. There's many, many, all of us probably have, <clears throat> have been impacted at some level by divorce. I certainly have. And, and, we, and when you think about it, you, you, it feels so inhospitable, like, like people look at you different, right? It's very real. In reality, 50% approximately of all marriages end in divorce. 60% of second marriages end divorce. And 73% of third marriages end, end divorce. It's a hard, hard thing. It, it's harsh and unfriendly and sometimes unwelcoming and difficult to walk through at times and 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 and, and if you ever walk through that you, you feel the weight of that and you will agree that it would be it feels inhospitable you feel judged you feel defeat you feel some level of failure it just comes with the word and it's a wilderness found in the life in the middle and that's not the only one 
There's many other wilderness that just feel inhospitable. Number three, the wilderness, it said by definition, is that it is uncultivated. That simply means it hasn't been turned. Everything hasn't been revealed. The, the soil is laying there dormant, and it needs to be turned, cultivated, to, to determine what's underneath. <clears throat> and I, I thought of some of these things might be sickness in our life, job loss, an injury, a difficult child, a parent with dementia. There's, it's uncultivated territory in the wilderness. We don't know what's there. We don't have the answers because we don't know all the details because we haven't flipped the soil over and we don't know what's lying just under the surface. <clears throat> so, like I said, we were on a cruise this week. Don't hate. And on this cruise, we went on a cruise line that we've never been on. It's called MSC. It's an, it's an Italian cruise line. Highly recommended, very nice boat. And they have a private island, the nicest private island I've ever been on, okay, in the Bahamas. They're all amazing, but this one was the best we've been on, or I'd been on. And so while we were on this island, we were, we were going to go get in the ocean. So we're going down the road, you know, walkway, and the lagoon is over here, calm, beautiful. The ocean is over here, not quite as calm, more beautiful. I mean, stunningly beautiful. Fluffy white sand beaches and turquoise sea that would just put your eyes out. Incredible how nice it was. About 80 degrees. I mean, it was picturesque. Picturesque. It was perfect. And so while we were, that's where we went because there was less people there. So Caitlin had gotten in the ocean and she said, that, the bottom is rough. Well, Juliana wanted to go in the water. And so I took her into the ocean. Caitlin said it was rough. That was not true. Rough is like a gravel road or the toilet paper at Waggles. Okay? This was of the devil. If I was not saved in Jesus' name and spent my eternity somewhere, it would be walking on the bottom of that ocean. Someone ha apparently had strategically placed small rocks with points directly up all over the bottom of that ocean. There was no place to place your feet. I stumbled out there and thought it would get better. Now I'm up to my chest, and I have a four-year-old in my arm who's climbing on top of my head, and I can't touch the bottom because it feels like my feet are being shredded, okay? Now, you say, what's that got to do with anything? That was the uncultivated part of this experience. You see, I had the postcard view of the ocean side of that private island. I had the fluffy white sand and the turquoise sea and the beautiful blue sky and the sun at, at a perfect temperature. That's what I saw. But what was underneath was the unknown. And the unknowns, if we're not careful, that's what will get us. And that's what will ruin all of the good that is in that environment. And I want you to know today, in this life called wilderness, sometimes these things like those jagged rocks, uncultivated, show up. We didn't see them coming. And they hurt, and they're uncomfortable, and they're frustrating. And if we're not careful, we take our eyes off of the beauty of everything else that God is doing in our life. And we focus on that one thing that has now been cultivated. And we have to be careful about that. Now, that's what the wilderness looks like. Sometimes God just 
leads us there. I want you to know that today. Because when we have these experiences, we begin to ask questions like, what did I do wrong? You know, is there sin in my life that I need to confess, I repent of, you know? Did I, have I mistreated something or someone? Or, you know, what, why, am I, why is this happening? Sometimes God leads us there. He just leads us there. So we'll know him more fully. So he'll, we'll trust him more completely. He leads us there because in the middle of the wilderness, he's got a provision. And he wants to reveal himself in those difficult times in our wilderness. Now, it would be easy for me to say, you know, if one day if you really give your heart to the Lord, this prosperity idea that if you really give yourself to the Lord and if you sow some money to the church, okay, some seed offering, then your life will be perfect and there'll be no more wilderness experiences for you. That would not be biblically accurate. In fact, Jesus said the more we suffer, the more we become like Christ. That's hard, but it's in there. So I want you to know about your pastor. I've had suffering wilderness seasons in my life. I had a, I had a learning disability when I was a child. God used it to teach me that in my weakness, he's made strong. I had two ACL replacements a year apart in my early 20s. I've had emergency back surgery. I've got an artificial hip. And God showed me a small glimpse of the suffering that Jesus went through paying my sin debt on a cross. I've been slandered, falsely accused, and sued frivolously so God could remind me that's what Jesus took, only worse. And those things do not define me or determine my destiny. My employment has been terminated immediately without cause, and our family has walked through cancer only so God could show us that he is our source and our strength of life. And the list goes on and on. And I don't share that to say, woe is me, pity party for the pastor. I tell you that to say, we're all in this thing together. We're all in this wilderness between salvation and glorification, between this miraculous event of delivery and the second miraculous event, delivery into our promised land in heaven. And in this life in the middle, it's not always easy. And in this life in the middle, there's some hard days and some hard times. But I'm here to proclaim and testify and make a solemn promise to you based on God's word and my personal experience. God will meet you in every wilderness experience. He'll meet you with every provision you need. And you will be knocked off of your feet at the greatness of how God will use the worst days in your life to reveal his glory. So, we're all in it together. We're all in the wilderness. Here's the thing. There's only two real responses to the wilderness life. Just two. Now, there's varieties of them, but only two. And here they are. Number one, we approach every wilderness experience in the flesh. And we wrestle with it from a human perspective. And we wonder why bad things happen to good people such as ourselves. Number two, we approach every wilderness experience from a spiritual perspective. And we realize that bad things happen to all people because we live in a badly broken world. And we trust in the provision of someone greater than ourselves. That's it. Now what's the difference in the two? The second one, we gain provision in the middle of our wilderness and we gain redemption of it all in the splendor of a heaven that Jesus is preparing for us 
That's our only options. We can do it alone or we can do it with God. We can find provision and hope for the future in God or we're just left out in the world in this wilderness of suffering all by ourselves. It was true 3,500 years ago and it's true today. And Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness and everybody who was older than 20 years old when they left Egypt died in the wilderness. They never saw the promised land because they never got the memo on how to handle wilderness difficulties. They failed the test and they died in the wilderness. They never saw the glory of the provision in the end called the promised land. So if you're in a wilderness today, listen to me. Everybody listen. If you're in a wilderness, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. God is already there. And he has your provision for your wilderness journey. Peter got it in the New Testament. He was a thick head like me. John 6, 66, after this, many of his disciples quit following Jesus. And they did not accompany him any longer. So Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's it. We have to get to a place that no matter what comes into our life, that's where we go. There's no place else to go. He's your one-stop shop for all your provision in the wilderness. Paul figured it out in Philippians chapter 419. Paul said, my God will supply every, your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He said in Hebrews 13:5, God will never leave you and God will never abandon you. Jesus declared it himself in Matthew 6, 26. He said, look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Life in the middle for us is no different than it was for Israel. And it's no different from one of us to the other. We're all in this thing together. And I want to make you a certain promise about life in the middle called the wilderness. You won't have all the answers. You'll never have all the answers. We were on the cruise and we made our way successfully without bloodshed from the ocean side to the lagoon side. And while we were there, there were three couples, I suspect, in their 20s, and they were there on the beach. I don't know if they were married or not, didn't inquire. But there was a ringleader in the mix. He did all the talking, had all the answers. He was tanked up on liquid courage and liquid wisdom, had all the answers to everybody's questions. And it was not his first rodeo because he had road rash on his forehead about the size of an envelope. And he was talking about how he thought he had really done some serious damage to his neck. Okay, and colorful, broad language. Most of his words would be four-letter. And the other crew just kind of said, he captivated the audience, right? Had all the answers. And so this went on and on, and some of the families left because of his language, and, and he just continued to get tanked up on liquid courage and liquid wisdom. And so the conversation went on, and we were in the ocean, and every now and then we'd hear a little bit. 
But as the day ended, the conversation went like this. The guy who had all the answers, somehow the conversation of death came up. And he had those answers too. And so he said, well, it's like this. We're all going to die. And when we die, we came from science and we go back to science. And my body will just dissolve into the universe for the greater good. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's what tequila will do for you right there. Okay, it'll brighten you up. Okay, had all the answers about the deepest subject in the world. Listen to me. The most profound need that any single person will ever have in this wilderness called life is that one question. What happens when we die? And he had it all figured out. And the conversation could have ended right there. But there was a girl of the three girls who just decided, I've heard enough of the liquid wisdom. She said, I don't believe that way. And he said, what do you believe? And she said, on the beach in Nassau, Bahamas, she said, I believe Jesus died on a cross to pay for our sin. And when we ask him into our life, he saves us and we go to heaven when we die. She didn't stop there. She said, and if we never do that, we die and go to hell. <laughs> Talk about a Hail Mary bomb. She threw it. So Mr. Wisdom said, so you're saying if I don't ask Jesus into my life, I'm going to hell? To which she said, uh, yeah. Now watch this. Tag team. Now came Mr. Wisdom number two. He's got questions for the young theologian. And he said, so what do you do with the people in India who never hear the name of Jesus? Or what do you do about purgatory, a place where we can work off our sins? And she just said, I don't have all the answers to those questions. Now here's the point. In the wilderness, you will never have all the answers to the questions. But you can have the answer to the question that matters most. And it's this. No matter how hard this wilderness gets, I've got a God who loves me so much that he came to this earth, became a man, and died on a cross to rescue me, to adopt me into his forever family. So no matter what comes in this wilderness journey between that moment when I met God and the moment when I stand before God, he's always loving me the same and he's always gonna take care of me and he will be my wilderness provision. And for you today, you don't have to have all the answers if you get that answer right. But I venture to say there's people in here today, in here today, who have heard the story, the good news gospel of Jesus, the greatest provision to man's greatest need. And you've never simply humbled yourself, confessed to God your sinful condition, repented of your sin, and received his grace gift into your life. And you listen to me. There's no other need you'll ever have in your life that will trump that need in your life and you simply today could say God I didn't come here for this but I feel like you're inviting me into your family and I'm a sinner I know it you know it we all know it I confess that I want to exchange my broken sinful self 
for the perfection of you found in Jesus, your son. I will receive your gift of grace if you will give it to me. And he will. He'll save you. That's how it works. And for the rest of us who have already made that commitment to God and received his grace gift and we're children of the almighty God, we're in this life together, in this wilderness, you can know that the same God who saved you, the same God who will usher you into heaven is the same God who will walk in your wilderness today and tomorrow until that day. I want you to bow your heads. God, we thank you for being a God like that. A God so loving we can't even comprehend it. A God so sacrificial that it offers redemption to every sin we've ever committed. God, I thank you for that we can look back at a nation called Israel and learn from them. But God, I pray we don't learn historically. God, I pray that we learn spiritually in our souls that that same truth is true for us today that you're in the middle of the wilderness with us God I pray for those here today who may have never received the greatest provision for the greatest need who is Jesus Christ I pray that your Holy Spirit will gently invite them out of their condition and into your provision forever and for the rest of us let us walk through this wilderness holding our head up and looking to you, our great provider. Help us come around each other, encourage each other, love on each other, and let people know they're not alone. We're all in the wilderness together, and we will give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast, and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.